0: This morning, I am continuing a series that I started on understanding spiritual authority. This will probably be the final one. Um, we are looking at, or we've been reading from 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, where Paul says this. He says, now I want you to realize that every head, that the head of every man is Christ, that the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, we've been discussing this concept of spiritual authority in the home. Now, so far we've made the argument that just because one is the head does not mean he necessarily has to be the doer of all things significant. Uh, Now, this has not been an an argument on why men shouldn't have to do anything. Okay? I'm not preaching that men don't have to do anything around the house. Actually, I'd like to preach that message, but my wife would kill me. (laughs) But... uh, (laughs) I'm a big fan of that message but it's not really biblical that's not what I'm talking about a guy just can't sit around and say I don't have to do nothing or uh, be disconnected and not get a job no, no, no I'm not talking about that what I'm talking about is countering this idea that just because it's been taught that the man is the head that he should do all the big stuff in the home and he should be the one handling the finances and he should be the one making decisions about this, that, and the other because that's what we've been told the Bible teaches well in fact that is not what the Bible teaches we use the analogy that oftentimes the heads of organizations don't really do a lot of anything. Uh, you know, just because you're the head doesn't mean you're the doer. Um, a coach on a football team, he's not the one out there tackling and, and running and stuff like that. He's responsible to make sure it gets done, but he doesn't necessarily do it. So there needs to be the separation. Uh, if a woman is better at something, then she should do it. There's no usurping authority in this idea That, uh, you know, a man has to do everything important is a Neanderthal type of thinking, and it is not biblical at all. Now, last week, I took it a step further and said that actually being the head of the home doesn't even necessarily mean the man is supposed to be the most spiritual in the home. The idea that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home, and by that we mean, you know, he should be the spiritual leader, he should be the one, you know, having insights from God, and really understanding the Bible, and praying, and having all the deep wisdom, and stuff like that, which has been repeated over and over again ad nauseum, uh, you know, that this is not necessarily true, that's not what it's talking about, being the head, and I ended last week by using the analogy of what I call kings and prophets, it's what we see throughout the Bible. Uh, particular in the Old Testament but also in the New and I'll show you this morning but in the Old Testament you would often see a delineation of roles you would see the king it wasn't always called the king but the king the one who was in charge the head and then the prophet the one who was hearing from God and having revelations and uh, we threw out the question you know, why was that? why did God have the separation? why wasn't the king the most spiritual guy in the country? Why weren't the prophets the ones who were in charge? Surely the world would have been better off if Isaiah had been running the country, that Elijah had been running the country. No, that's just the way that we think. We tend to group the two together when in fact we see biblically that they were separated. Now, um, I want to take a look at this morning at Exodus, the 7th chapter. Look at the life of Moses. This is one of the first places that we see this delineation, although it wasn't the first, but... Um, uh, Against throughout the whole Bible. But in Exodus it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. So you're like God. You're the guy in charge, Moses. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Okay? In charge, prophet. In charge, prophet. Now you're to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites out of the country. And uh, as you read the story, you will find, in fact, that it was Aaron who was doing all this stuff. Now, we've all seen the movie, you know, The Ten Commandments, and we watch TV, and we've seen the movie, you know, Cecil B. DeMille, and Moses comes before Pharaoh and says, Let my people go! You know, and he's the one stretching forth his staff and doing all these miracles and bringing the plagues. That is not, in fact, what happened. It wasn't Moses telling Pharaoh to let the people go. It was Aaron. It wasn't Moses bringing and stretching forth the plagues. It was Aaron. Moses just kind of stood there. (laughs) Who's the old guy? You know, he was Moses. He was the guy in charge. And the one in charge doesn't necessarily have to be the one who was doing all the time. Now, eventually, Moses grew into being more of a doer. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I love the way God says this. He says, you'll be like God. Aaron will be like the prophet. What does it mean to be like God? He's the one who's in charge. And, and you know, even God himself, when he does things, he's not the one who actually goes out and does them. He has these things called angels and stuff. He speaks, boom, everybody kicks butt and makes it happen. All right? Now the angels don't go around saying, how come we got to do everything all the time? He's just sitting there on the throne doing nothing. Right? Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! I believe there was an angel who thought that. (laughs) Anybody remember his name? Satan? Lucifer? It's exactly what he did. Well, I gotta be doing stuff all the time. I'm a pretty good-looking guy. I know how to make stuff happen. I go. I ought to be in charge, you know. Now, I. Mentioned last week that, you know, I, I always kind of get a sick kick out of this, but oftentimes women complain bitterly to me that their husbands are not being the spiritual leaders. They should be the leaders, they should be the very spiritual ones in the home. They complain, they get all mad and bitter and angry about it. <laughs> what exactly part of spiritual is being bitter, mad, angry? You know? In fact, I argue when a woman is deriding and saying, i got to do everything, I'm in charge, I'm the one that's enough, who does she sound the most like? Satan. All right. There's not this anarchy. Well, there was. God kicked them all out of heaven. But in heaven, people don't complain because God is actually doing stuff himself. He speaks the word and people go out, angels, and make it happen. So, Moses, like God, Aaron was the one who would actually act out and make these statements uh, in front of Pharaoh. He's the one who spoke to Pharaoh. He's the one who stretched forth his hands and brought out the plagues, uh, etc., etc. Now, there are some exceptions in the Bible where the one in charge was the prophet. It does happen and can happen. It's kind of rare uh, a few scenarios where there were judges who were the prophets you know, like Deborah the judge, she was a prophetess but she was also the one in charge um, and, and it happens by and large I mean it also happens today by and large usually you see this in pastors lives guys who tend to be very spiritual but also they had and I think that's kind of where we get the problem I think a lot of women look up to these pastors who are always speaking and they're also very spiritual in their homes and think well that's what my husband's supposed to be like but that's the exception. It's not the rule. Generally, you did not see one guy playing the role. Very rare. It was, by and large, carried by two different individuals. Uh, Moses, now, Moses eventually did become the great prophet, a great prophet, and a speaker of God's word. But it took time. Uh, actually, when you when you first read the story, of Moses, it's it's pretty funny because God appears to him in this burning bush and says to Moses, go set my people free and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and I'm going to give you all this power and all this stuff. And Moses goes, I don't want to do it. Oh, I don't want to do it. You Get somebody else to do it. And God will say, but you don't understand. I'm going to be with you. It's going to be fabulous. It's going to be powerful. He goes, really, I don't want to do it. Get somebody else to do it. I I don't know how to talk, I I don't know how to talk in front of people, it's too embarrassing, I stumble over my words, you know, I mean, finally it was God who said, okay, we'll get your brother Aaron, he's a good talker, you know, he can't shut up, like Pastor Mark, we'll send him, (laughs) All right. but it didn't make Aaron the one in charge, okay, in fact, (laughs) kind of a little known fact, when you read the story, uh, Moses was kind of, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Finally, guys, okay, well, Aaron will do it. But a- Moses had this big attitude. God was going to kill him. God got so mad at Moses, he was going to squish him like a cockroach. <laughs> All right? Because he was whining. I don't want to do, that. I, don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. God was ready to kill him. And Moses' wife actually stood and interceded for him and saved his butt on that deal. But so Moses is just relaxed. Talk about a guy who doesn't want to do anything. I can't talk. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. But yet he was the one in charge. And everyone rallied around him and treated him with respect. And Aaron treated him with respect. And it eventually did transform him. I've talked about this. One of the greatest ways of getting a man to transform into something is treat him with great respect before he earns it. A lot of women say, I'll treat him with respect as soon as he earns it, lazy bum. No, no, no. And this works not only with men, it works with boys. Treating them with respect, holding up with, uh, uh, treating them in, in a positive way, challenging them to become all that they can become. And eventually Moses, start, you'll, as you read the story, he starts doing more. I think the first time he actually did something is when it, they were backed up at the Red Sea and he, he finally parts his hands and the water goes, he probably goes, whoa, look at that. That was his first time even messing with stuff. Okay? And eventually he becomes this incredible speaker. In fact, if you read the first five books of the Bible, they're called the books of Moses. The last one is the book of Deuteronomy, real thick book. Uh, it is a record of his final speech to the nation. I mean, it's quite articulate. It is brilliantly laid out and stuff like this from a man who couldn't talk. I mean, it transformed him. He became an incredible speaker. But it took time. But it didn't make him more holy than before. It didn't make him more of a leader than before. He was the leader, the head, because God told him that he was. But even still, even Moses at his greatest, even still there was a delineation between Moses and Aaron who was the priest. There's always, by and large, you'll find these, the separation. Now the king or the leader or whatever, the one that was the one in charge, and the prophet, the one with spiritual revelation and knowledge, generally did not fight each other They weren't at war with each other, uh, but on occasion, it would happen, and uh, it would cause uh, bad results. Uh, There's two examples. I'll just go real quickly here. One was uh, when the prophet did not approve of the king, the one in charge. In this case, uh, we're, we're still with Moses. Here's a time where Aaron did get disrespectful. It says in Numbers, the 12th chapter, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Why? Because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite. See, they have very strict rules about who you're supposed to marry and who you're not supposed to marry. Of course, he had married this woman when he was on the backside of the desert running for his life and stuff. Anyway, they just didn't approve. They didn't approve. I don't think the leader's doing the right thing. I don't think the leader's the right thing. And you know, a lot of people like to be real, sit around and pick, 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 pick at the leaders, you know. A lot of people... You know, after church they'll be at lunch, and they'll be having the pastor for lunch. You know, and not you guys. You love me, but, uh, but it's very common. You know, I don't know if the pastor did the right thing. I didn't like the way he said such you know, like a bunch of birds eating a dead carcass or something. You know, peeling apart. You know, he didn't smile at me. I walked by him and he didn't smile. What's wrong with him? You know. And then they got very spiritual. I said, well. Hasn't the Lord, spoke, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Moses isn't the only one who hears from God. Hasn't he also spoken through us? We know who God is. So they become very disrespectful. See, the prophet now starts dissing the king. And the Lord heard it. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. There was like, the, you have to read the context. There was this presence of the Lord. The cloud was there. All of a sudden, it pulls away. God gets really ticked at these two. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous, white as snow. God had stricken her. She just turned covered with leprosy. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had turned leprosy. Ah! You know, just totally freaked him. All of a sudden, he's just happy. Ah! And right away, he knew what had happened. God had brought judgment because they were being disrespectful. The prophet was dissing the king. Steward king, he thinks he knows everything. He doesn't do everything right every Sounds like some homes, huh? He ain't so smart. Yeah, who needs him anyway? Judgment of God comes. Right away, he's smart enough to cry out in repentance. He cries out to Moses, the one he was just criticizing. Pray for me, please, my Lord, do not hold, us, hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. That's gross. So Moses prayed for him. And Moses cried out to the Lord, "O oh God, please heal her." And God did. But here's a situation where the prophet didn't think he needed the one in charge. We read sometimes where the king didn't like the prophet. There's a few times we saw this in the Bible. We'll read one of them. We see this one in Samuel where Saul was king, and Samuel had told him, "said Listen, before you go into this battle." Meet me in seven days, I'm going to show them, we're going to worship God, I'm going to offer up the sacrifice as the prophet, speaking the words of God, and then you can go to battle. Well, we we'll read the story, it says says uh, Saul waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel, uh, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Basically, Samuel was late. Can't imagine a prophet being late. <laughs> speaking of the women in the home, you get that, anyway... So, said, so he said, So he says, Ah, who needs a prophet? I can do this. I can do this. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Well, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel shows up. Samuel, uh, Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel says, well, What have you done? And Saul said, Well, I saw the men were scattering. You didn't come at the set time. You were late, dude. The Philistines were assembling. i got to go to war. And I thought, well, the Philistines are going to come against me at Gilgal. And I haven't prayed yet. I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I can, I can do this. I can do this. Samuel says, you've acted foolishly. And as you read it, he goes on to explain that God at this point decided to take the kingdom away from Saul. Samuel. Saul, sorry. He said, I'm going to give it to somebody else. Turned out to be David. This is where we get King David from. Why? Because Samuel got pretty cocky and figured or or Saul got pretty cocky I, I don't need a prophet I can do it myself we need to be careful so number one I just want you to see this difference that generally you would see of delineation in the roles king and prophet usually two different people not one and then, secondly it's not good for the king and prophet to think they can do without each other criticize each other attack one another better that they do their role as God had intended Now, we see this dual role, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And we want to look at this, because they don't use the words kings and stuff anymore, but you still see this even in the church. Paul writes this in Corinthians. He says, in the church, he says, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Or the King James says, the others should judge. Well, who are these others? The guys digging latrines? No. These are the guys in charge of the church. So the prophets would speak, and then the guys in charge would listen, and weigh what is said. Again, we have taught so much in evangelical churches that it's the ones in charge who are by nature the prophets, who are the most spiritual in the church, who have the most divine revelations, Are always the guys in charge. Not necessarily a delineation, even in the church. Here's a time we see in Acts, the 21st chapter. It says, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, they were there hanging out because Paul was saying he wanted to go to Jerusalem. Okay? The guy in charge. Paul's in Charles, I'm going to Jerusalem. Well, they're kind of waiting. Well, this prophet shows up. And coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. Very dramatic guy. And he ties his own hands and his feet with it and says, The Holy Spirit says this. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So the prophet prophesies that if you go, you're going to get in big trouble. And then he says, well, when we heard this, we and the people there with us pleaded with Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. But then Paul, the one in charge, answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am not, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we couldn't talk him out of it. Why not? He was the guy in charge. All right. Then we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. Yeah, now why wasn't Paul the one receiving this prophecy? He was the one in charge. Now sometimes they did. But again, oftentimes you see this separation in the roles. Now, here's an interesting truth that is, a lot of people miss. This dual role of king and prophet, one who has the authority, one who's having the divine revelation, it's such an effective Working together when it's done right. And my argument is that this is the way it should be in homes. I believe by and large what God intended was for husband and wife to be acting as king and prophet in their home. But we're missing this. And when the roles do pop up, we criticize and we fight each other. Because we don't think the other person should be doing what they're doing. But it's such an effective role that even at the end time, Satan himself duplicates the very same system. We read about this in the book of Revelation. talks about in the end times, this world leader is going to rise to prominence. He's called the Antichrist. Okay? The beast, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. This incredible man who has this great influence over the world. And he is the one in charge. But along with him comes what the Bible calls a false prophet. Even Satan that's the same deal why wasn't the antichrist also the great prophet it just seems to work better when the two are separated we read about it when they're eventually falling into judgment here Revelation at the end of the book of the bible is, the last book of the bible it says but the beast, the antichrist was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed miraculous signs on his behalf see the guy with all the sizzle and power and impressa Oftentimes was the prophets. See, we don't get this. There's something about our Western culture. There's something wrong with us over here, you know. Everything to us is about what you do. Whoever does the most sparkle, he's the one who should be in charge. You know, and if you're in charge, then you should be doing everything. And when that doesn't pan out, we get all frustrated and, and, and freaked out. But it's not the way it works, not biblically. Oftentimes, the one with the biggest sparkle and insights. The one doing the miracles, the one doing the incredible things, was not the guy in charge. Something is hard for our Western brain to get around. Because the minute, in our mind, someone's that sparkly, ooh, we push him to the head of the class. He's the one who should be calling all the shots. Not necessarily. Anyway, with these signs, this false prophet had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And then God takes the two of them and they were thrown alive into the fiery lake. Of burning sulfur. Ouch. Now sadly. The majority of Christian teaching on the home. Has basically said that in essence. The husband is supposed to be both king and prophet. That is what has been taught. Ad nauseum. The husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home. The husband. You know the Bible never says that by the way. There's no place in the Bible you ever see spiritual lead. Or spiritual head. The phrase doesn't even exist. The only phrase is what we read. The man is the head but this idea that the man has to be the one with great spiritual insights and the one who sees everything and understands everything and and so many Christian women who get so angry and frustrated at their husbands because they're not having this great spiritual insight relax a little bit, chill out for crying out loud what if God has called you my dear woman to be the prophet in your home does the prophet attack the king, does the king attack the prophet well when they did there was anarchy This idea that the man is supposed to be the most spiritually gifted person in the home and he should receive direction and wisdom from God and he ought to always know what to do. Well, you ought to know what to do. You ought to know what to do. Why? Because you're not supposed to be the man. Stop with that already. The truth of the matter, oftentimes the guys in charge didn't know what to do. And you know what the kings, when they didn't know what to do, you know what they did? Who did they call for? Who? The prophet. The prophet. You say, we're in trouble. Everybody come to the king. What do we do? We're in trouble. What should we do? He goes, I don't know. Sound like your husband? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're supposed to be the head. You're supposed to be the stuff that. The king would then turn to the prophet and say, What do you got to say? And the prophet would speak. The prophet would offer wisdom and insight. Now it doesn't say that they necessarily did everything the prophet said. In fact, the Bible doesn't even say you're supposed to do everything the prophet says. What does it say in the New Testament? Let the prophet speak, and then the other was weigh it out. What happened with Paul there? The prophet spoke, but then did Paul do what the prophet was suggesting? No. But he listened. He listened, he heard. The prophets weren't angry. And critical of the guy in charge because he wasn't getting the one getting the revelations. The lesson here let's work together in our homes. Let's stop all the goofball stereotypes and let God use you in the giftings that He's called you to. What if, in fact, I'm right? I argue that if you look around, everything I'm saying you see all the time. You see it all the time. Oftentimes you'll see husband and wife and the wife is the one who seems to be more in tune in spiritual things particularly in their home it's certainly true in my life while I might have spiritual insights for you guys as the pastor and stuff like that in my home it's the redhead (laughs) it's not a usurping of authority you just see stuff I don't see you better be careful what? (laughs) your kids need you to do such and stuff really? well can't you tell? No, you know. Now she doesn't stick it in my face and say, "Well, you're supposed to be the pastor. You're the sponsor. splitting this New York missionary, Marty." By the way, that is so disrespectful. Do you know something? Well, you know, as I travel around the country, you know, Mister Relationship, Mister, you know, hoo hoo you know, how many times I have people come up to me and say does your wife does your wife remind you of what you said all the time does your wife say hey Mr. Romance hey Mr. Loverboy you say such and such I do that all the time do you know never one time in 35 years has my wife ever done that to me she has never done that and you're talking an easy target here <laughs> okay you know, I, it's easy for me to talk about this stuff. Living it, holding the ball game. You know what I'm saying? Never one time. You know, you always tell people about how men should treat their wife, You never treat me that way. You always talk about this and say and you don't do that. Never has she done that to me. It would be so disrespectful and so disheartening about ripping the heart out of a guy. Don't get frustrated. Look, if if, if your home is different. Well, your, guy, your guy happens to be one of those guys that does have all those great wisdoms. Well, great, fabulous. But I think by and large, you will find that in most homes, it is the woman who tends to be more in tune in spiritual things. It's not a usurping of authority. Women by nature just kind of wire for things. But one thing alone, women like to read, which means they like to read the Bible. They like to read books, and they like to go to Bible studies where they read books about books that have books about what the book said. As a result, she's going to get a lot of insight. But you've got to be careful. You know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Don't be all arrogant and all puffed up. This is kind of a shocker to a lot of women. Do you know that most men in America, their entire lives... We'll read one book cover to cover. <laughs> don't raise your hand, you sinners. I know who you are out there, but you know. <laughs> and I had to. I was in class. I, they made me do it. You know. Some, are, some There are some men. There's always exceptions to all this stuff. But by and large, men are not readers. They don't like to. They'll read bits and pieces. Whereas most women, you know, y'all read three books by the end of this week. You'll have insight, but don't let it puff you up. Don't get arrogant. Maybe God's using you. Maybe God's putting an anointing in your life as a prophet in the home, speaker in the home. I'll tell you, what, in our house, when things were hitting the fan and everything was freaking out, you know who the first one was the freak out? <laughs> my wife would stand in faith and be calm and speak into my life. Sometimes it made me mad. It made me mad because she wasn't freaked out too. What's the matter with you? We need to freak out. I'm freaked out. You should be freaked out. So it'll be okay. God's going to take care of it. She'd roll and fall asleep. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> Because I know she's right. You know, that's what really ticks you off, you know. That's the worst when you know they're right. But something about this is wrong. <laughs> this idea that the husband is supposed to be both king and prophet, I believe, is just flat out wrong. I believe God intended husband and wife to act together as king and prophets in their home. And just as the roles of king and prophet are represented by two different individuals throughout the Bible, so should it be in our lives. To teach otherwise only seems to me to result in nothing but frustration and disappointment. All right, ushers, come forward. Let's get ready to serve communion on different campuses. Musicians can come back to the platform. Again, this is not an argument for guys to do nothing. To sit around and just be slackers. But on the other hand, it's no argument that he has to do everything or be something that he's not supposed to be. The Bible doesn't say he's supposed to do these things that we say. And what happens when men see what women don't understand about men? When men generally fail in an area and they've tried, they tried, and they fail, his response to that is to give up and pull away. Not just out of evilness, it's just, well, if I can't let me find an area where I can succeed in. And oftentimes in churches we've 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 held this big spiritual thing for the father to be, and when he's not, that's why so many guys tend to pull away and disconnect from spiritual things. Guys don't do that. Don't disconnect. Say, well, you know, you pray with the kids and 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 you do everything, and you go to church without them. I'm going fishing, and you know, and, you know, don't get one of these guys that because you aren't this thing that you think you ought to be that you. Justify this disconnection. No, no, no. God is still going to hold you responsible. You are the head of this home. You are responsible for what happens in this home. But don't get freaked out because your wife knows all the words to the songs and you don't. And the pastor says, Open up to Deuteronomy. You go, What's a Deuteronomy? <laughs> don't let that stuff freak you out. Play the right role. Let's not get caught up in stuff that, and, and force people to play roles that they aren't supposed to play. I talk about role playing that's inappropriate. Boy, this is no more true than when it comes to this area that we're doing right now. This time of communion when we talk about salvation. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. That was his role. The Savior. That's why we call him the Savior. But a lot of people usurp the authority because they try to play that role. So I don't need a Savior. I'm not such a bag. I don't need Jesus. I'm a pretty good guy. I give to the United Way. $8 this year. I can be good enough. I'm fine. What are you doing, dude? What you're saying is you're going to be the Savior in your own life. Think that's going to work for you? Lot of luck with that. The Bible says it's not going to work. You can't save yourself. So why do I need Jesus? Because you can't do it. Somebody's going to carry your sins. Either you or the Savior. You want to carry them? I don't want to carry them. You can't be good enough to erase your sins. There's not this, like a lot of people think, there's this little balancing thing in in heaven. And if you're a little bit better than you are a slime bag, then you'll get in. That's not how it works. Because of your sins, you're flat out doomed. Isn't that encouraging this morning? The good news is that Jesus will carry your sins if you'll give them to him. That's why he's the savior. He died on the cross for you and for me. His body was broken, his blood was shed. That's what we remember during communion. Because he's the Savior. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really taken that step in your life. You're kind of playing Savior to yourself. Don't play a role you're not designed to play. Put your trust in Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. If you'll mean this, turn away from what you know is wrong in your life. Put your faith in Jesus. You can experience God's forgiveness and grace in your life today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross to take my sins. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me. I surrender now to you. Amen.